You're listening to The Devoted Podcast, where our desire is to be women devoted to the Word of God. We're so glad you're here, and we pray you'll be challenged and encouraged as we look to God's Word together. Hey, welcome to The Devoted Podcast. Hope you guys are having a great week. I am enjoying everything fall right now. I know, we're kind of into fall, but I love fall color. I love all the pumpkin. I love all of the pumpkin spice candles and the pumpkin lattes and quarter sweet, of course. But I know I've actually learned this is a little bit of a divisive topic among gals because some of you guys can't stand those things. And I'm trying to figure this out. I don't understand. I mean, I suppose if we had to have it year round, but there is just something so amazing about all the spices and all of it fall. I just love it. And I love the color. It's just beautiful here in Oregon in the fall. I always feel for my family. I have some fam that lives down in Texas and you guys do not get really fall in Texas. And, you know, my sweet sister-in-law will send me a text and it'll be like 95 degrees in November and it's brutal. I just, no, no, that's not for me. Love Texas. Don't really love the weather. So I'm actually going to talk something that is hopefully not as controversial as pumpkin spice lattes or pumpkin candles, but you know, it actually probably might be just a little bit because I want to talk about calling for a little bit. And I sort of cringe when I say that because I think it's been given a little bit more press, a little bit more, I don't know, like just sort of this thing that women have to figure out like, what is my calling? What's my purpose? What's my thing that I need to do? You know? And so it can sometimes... I don't know, take a little bit of a left turn a bit that I think we need to rein in. We're going to bounce this back and forth a little bit. I want to look at a story in the Old Testament. Then I want to just kind of explore this thing where we talk about calling and competency. When do those things go together? Do they go together? Should they go together? And even are they mutually exclusive? I'm not I'm not real sure on that. So we'll kind of explore this together a little bit. But I want to start in the Old Testament. And I want to talk a little bit about the story in Judges about Deborah. You know, Deborah is kind of an iconic figure in the Old Testament as far as like heroes among women in the faith. And I love Deborah. There are so many great attributes about her. I also don't love how she's sometimes used, I think, to push forth an agenda that I don't necessarily think is being true to the text and what she was actually doing there in Judges. So I'm going to refer you to the story a little bit. I'm not going to read the whole thing. It takes place in Judges 4 and then also a bit in Judges 5. But I'm going to maybe just kind of bring you up to speed on who she is a little bit, give you a little context on what's going on in Israel and why Deborah takes the stage at this time in Israel's history. So this is back if you're following along in the Old Testament with the story of the judges is when, you know, they're constantly, let's see, they're doing well for it seems about five seconds. And then it says, and they did evil in the sight of the Lord and, you know fill in the blank. And then they did well, a judge comes and saves them. And then they do evil in the sight of the Lord. And it's sort of this repetitive deal. It just kind of keeps going over and over. It's this broken record of the people doing well, then the people following after false gods or the people doing evil in the sight of the Lord and having to be conquered by another nation. Well, this is kind of what's going on with Deborah. Just before her, it says, if you start in Judges 4, it says, and the people of Israel again 
did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. He was a previous judge. And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, if that's how you say that, Sisera, probably Sisera. Let's go with that one, who lived in a long name that I cannot pronounce. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help. So they're under oppression of this Sisera, who is reigning and he's the one that is in control of them and he's an oppressive leader right and he was a mighty leader it says in verse 3 that he had 900 chariots of iron and he oppressed the people of israel cruelly for 20 years okay so that is the scene that is set for when deborah comes on the stage verse 4 now deborah a prophetess the wife of Lapidoth was judging Israel at this time. So here we have our introduction of Deborah. There's only an, uh, there's one other person in the Old Testament that is given this title of prophetess. It's not the only time we hear of prophesying. There is some prophesying by some women in the New Testament. I believe it's Philip's daughters. There's a couple of other references, but this is a slightly different thing. This is they're actually named as a prophetess, and the other one is Huldah. Huldah has a brief mention in 2 Kings 22, 14. But those are the only two that are given this title in the Old Testament. But it says that she was judging Israel at the time. And it says who she's the wife of, which I think all of these details are important. Describing who she is, describing that she is the wife of someone. And then it kind of tells us a little bit about her approach here. So the story goes on where she is going to summon the kind of the commander of the armies of Israel. So in verse six, it says, and she sent and summoned Barak, the son of Abinoam from Kadesh Naphtali and said to him, has not the Lord, the God of Israel commanded you, okay, she's talking to Barak here, go gather your men of Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 from the people of Naphtali and the people of Zebulun. And I will draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army to meet you by the river Kishon. So she tells him, hey, hasn't, and I think it's interesting even that she asks a question as if perhaps Barak already knew that this was a command that the Lord had given him. But she is, whether or not he had been given this information before or not, she is asking the question, has not the Lord of God, Israel, commanded you? Okay, you, Barak, this is who we're talking to. So she tells him this. And then it's a pretty clear directive. He's the general, right? Like he's got the armies. It says even the tribes of Israel that had that were members of his army. It was it was a force. Right. But even more importantly, it was commanded by the Lord that he should do this. But you guys got to check his response. OK, Barak, this is not a stellar moment for a guy here. Barak said to her, if you will go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. OK, dramatic pause there. This bugs me. This bugs me just a little bit. She is telling him, first of all, or reminding him of having the Lord commanded you. And his response could have been a couple things, but I'm thinking one is a pretty clear response. And that is, first of all, if the Lord has said I should do this, then yes, 100%, I should go do this. That is what I've been called to do. That's what I've been commanded to do. But not only does he not do that, he then, like, it's a completely chicken move, really. I mean, he just comes here and says, well, I mean, I'll go if you go. Does that strike anybody as odd? This is a woman and the general of the army, or I, I'm not sure if that was necessarily the title that he used, but he was the commander of, of Israel's army. And he is basically saying, I'm only going to go if you go. I don't know why this strikes me as 
almost childish in a way of sort of like your little one coming to you and, you know, mommy, please come with me. Please come. Don't make me go by myself. Those people are scary. That's what it sounds like to me. So this is not really a stellar moment for Barrick here. So Deborah, she says, yeah, I'll go. But she points out to him, if this is the way you're going to go, if this is the way this is going to go down, you need to know that a woman is going to get credit for the victory here. You're not going to get credit for it. So the story goes on. It talks about how the battle was fought. And then it has this very interesting caveat at the end. And I'll just tell you right now, this is the PG-13 version that I'm about to say, because if you read the rest of that story, this is not exactly the nonviolent G-rated story here. But Sisera, he flees the army. And they're not doing so well. So he kind of takes off, probably to save his own skin. And he comes into a camp of people that are actually not Israelites. They were from the house of Kenan. And there is a gal there named Jael. So if you've read the story, you know where I'm going. But you got if you've not, you just need to know it. It's a pretty cool story here. So Jael, she sees Sisera. And she says, hey, come into my tent. You can hide here. And he wants a drink of water. Hey, don't tell anybody I'm here. And so she kind of woos him in a little bit and gives him, it says milk and curds, which that sounds really gross. But apparently that would have been a good thing for him. So he comes in, he lays down and he's resting and hiding from the battle. And he just tells her, hey, if anybody comes, just say nobody's here. So she lets him lie down. She covers him up. And then she proceeds to take a tent peg and drives it through his skull. Yes, she does. Okay, so what happened here? Exactly what Deborah said was going to happen. She said that if you do this, the victory for this battle is actually going to go to a woman. And it did. It went to JL, who drove a tent stake through the commander of the enemy's army. Yeah, it's not for kids version there, but that's what happened there. So going back to the character of Deborah here, and again, I I caution when I even say character, because I do want us to remember when we are reading about these people in God's word, they are real people. This is a real woman that lived and breathed and acted in accordance with what the Lord had commanded her to do. And so I I always want us to be careful that we don't characterize these people in such a way that we don't actually think of them as real people. But she's interesting to me. And I think some of the things that I like about her, you know, earlier I said, note the details of what it says, of who she is. She is a prophetess. It says who she was the wife of. In Judges 5, 7, she sings this song. There's this poem kind of that's written of the battle and of the victory and all of the things that went down. And she describes herself like this in chapter 5, verse 7. She says, I, Deborah, arose a mother in Israel. That's how she identifies herself. She identifies herself as a mother of Israel. And I think this is so interesting how this is not necessarily even her saying the mom of all of her kids. Maybe she did have kids. Maybe she didn't have kids. But she's identifying herself as a mother. But she's not a woman that is given to complacency. And I love this about her, too. In chapter 5, verse 12, it says, Awake, awake, Deborah, awake, awake, break out in song. And then she's continuing to sing the song about their victory. What I love about these words, awake, awake, is just it marks that this was a woman that was looking for how the Lord would use her in these situations, I think. Before 
well, it's, it mentions it in Judges 4 when the people did evil in the sight of the Lord. But then also, again, here in chapter 5, verse 8, it talks about that during this time of the people, it says, when new gods were chosen. This is what happens. This is what happened with Israel. This is totally what happens with us. We live in these days where people start choosing new gods for themselves. And we see this all the time. Anybody who thinks that idolatry is not a thing in 2021 is not paying attention because it's just because they're not in actual, you know, silver, wood, bronze, whatever little things. Oh my goodness, are they ever there? They're actually even more so, I think, because they're usually ourselves. How much do we idolize ourselves or the things we want to do, our careers, even sometimes our families, the, the things that we put in place of God, that is an idol. If you're putting it in the place of God, if you worship something in the place of God, that's idolatry. Well, she's in this day where she's seeing the world around her choosing other gods. Now, we as women, as mothers today, whether it's our own children or whatever we're talking about, as, but as being mothers, we can see the same thing around us of seeing that there are people choosing gods of their own and we could stay asleep. You know, we could just fall asleep on the job and just, you know, we'll let somebody else take care of this. Sadly, I think a lot of women are doing that today. They're like, oh, no, it's okay. You know, I'll let my kids as teachers take care of that. Or I'll let the teacher in Sunday school, they'll take care of teaching my kids about this. Or, you know, at my work, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to really have that conversation. I'm going to let somebody else deal with that. Okay, that's not being awake. That's not being alert to the things that are going around you and how the Lord might use you in the situations that we're in, where we're in a world where other gods are being chosen. And I love this about Deborah, that she was not falling for that complacency thing. She was alert to what was going on around her and how she could be used. So was Deborah competent for the job that she had been given? I think she was. I think she was definitely competent. And I'm going to refer, you know, I love to define some terms here. Competency, it can, if you look at the dictionary, it can just mean adequate, like not even really exceptional. It's not like it's super gifted, but it's just sufficient and knowledgeable. You have a, a sufficient experience and knowledge to do the task. So do I think that, according to scripture, was she competent to do the job? And I think the answer would be yes to that. Do I think she was called to this job? I'll just let that hang there a minute. Do you think she was called to this job or not? I believe that Deborah, it would seem from the passage, is doing the things that the Lord asked her. But you can notice in even the fact that she went, that when Barak came and she said, and is reminding him of the things that the Lord had commanded for him to do, it makes it sound like I don't think it was necessarily her calling. She didn't want to go out and lead this battle. Barak had been called to do that. But... He did not do it. And so then she did it. JL gets the victory and the, the whole story. But it's interesting to me that I'm not necessarily sure that she was called to it. I wouldn't die on that battlefield, but something to think about. So what do we do with this thing about calling? So if we're going to, def we define competency, calling is just, it could be two parts. It could just be your vocation, you know, the thing that you do every day for work, but it sometimes has the implication of a some kind of divine summons, like something that you feel strongly that the Lord has actually called you to do. And these, I think it's important to know these definitions, but I do want us to pause on these words a little bit, because I think that maybe guys do this too, but I sure think we as women, we put a really high bar on our calling. 
and what we're called to do. And sometimes we think that that calling is some huge grand thing. And maybe for some it may be. But I want us to actually like really think about that. And if we're giving into some pressure, perhaps, of that we are supposed to come up with some grand calling that might sound cool to the world, but is it necessarily what the Lord has called us to? Some of this comes into play with the the massive equality movement, right? And having men and women like, you know, I can do anything that a man can do. I'm just as good as a man. Well, can I just say first, if somebody says that, let's define terms. What do we mean just as good as? If we're meaning about intrinsic value and worth as an image bearer of God, absolutely. If we're talking about being equal to men in our abilities and the things that we can even physically do, the things that we are designed by God to do, well, that's different. So, you know, don't fall into the trap of just defining good and letting somebody off with that definition. Of course, we all have the same intrinsic value as image bearers of God. But the things that we are designed to do are different. For some, this can come as, you know, I'm good at this, so therefore this is exactly what I should do. Trying to think of an example of this. Okay, so I read a ton of women and have heard different teachings and different things on that on women who are excellent at teaching the word. I learn a lot from them. They are they're just excellent at handling the word. Absolutely. They're good at that. They have competency in that. Does that mean then that they are called to teach in all capacities, that that is their calling? Okay, so this is where I think we need to pause because I think the answer to that is no, because we have a clear directive in scripture. You can go to 1 Timothy 2.12. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Okay, pretty clear. So does that mean if that woman is just amazingly competent or maybe we want to say gifted in teaching that then that that for that competency equals her calling to teach to men. I think in that situation, you have to say no, because scripture says that is not what we are called to do. By the way, just a little caveat on this one, because like I just said, I know of, I read of women that I think are really excellent teachers and maybe not even on a biblical issue, just but are just very gifted in communication and different things. And you can learn all kinds of things. But specifically as it relates to Bible teaching, I think it's sad that when a woman is gifted in that area and they start doing that, that for some reason, maybe, you know, maybe they do start with teaching women, as the Bible says, but then they decide, oh, I'm, you know, I'm really good at this and I could do this and this and this. And it's doing things outside of what scripture is saying. And somehow that's less than I'm unclear why. I guess I'm not unclear, but it's sad to me that we choose and look for ways to expand our audience I suppose, on it when we should stick to the audience that we are called to. And I guess I hope this isn't sounding too harsh, but the reason I think this is so important is because I think women really need to hear other women teach solid doctrine, like teach solid things from scripture. I think that that is very valuable. I think our kids really need to hear solid teaching. And it's unfortunate that those two groups of people are somehow not enough, that we're not as important or something. And so they need to go on and teach to men. That to me is unfortunate. Women need to hear good teaching and they need to hear things that of women who have competency towards those things. 
And but I think a lot of times it's just our flesh that wants to go, oh, but I could go do this and this and this. When if that is something that if it's an audience that is taking you outside of the realm of scripture, then you're clearly not in the right on that one. I read today a quote. It was our first lady, Jill Biden. She said she's going to be the first first lady that I know of. Maybe there's been others, but that is going to actually work outside of her duties as the first lady. And she's going to teach. I guess that's what she did before this. And so and the quote was, teaching is not something I do. It is who I am, is what she said. You know, again, I think that's so cool to that she can do the things that she wants to do in a teaching capacity and all of that, those kinds of things. So I'm certainly not knocking on that at all. But this was a, one of these quotes that I was reading and I, and I went, why is that sticking with me? What is that? And I prayed about this going, Lord, what's in there that isn't quite resonating with truth? Teaching is not something I do. It is who I am. And it was that last phrase, who I am. Are we the things that we do? See, this is where I think there's all sorts of confusion. We are not the things that we do. We are created by God. We are image bearers of God. That is completely where our and only where our value comes from. It's not in the things that we actually do. And the reason I think that's so important is because, man, what if you have a job that you just love and you feel like this, that, you know, this isn't just what I do. This is who I am. And then what if some terrible accident happens and in some way you are incapacitated to be able to do that work that you've done? Does that mean that you no longer are who you are? That falls flat, right? That's not true. That's not who you are. That's what you do. Now, I understand her intent with this comment is just to say that's just how much she loves teaching and all of that. I understand that. But I also think that there can be some confusion here as far as we identify who we are with the things that we do. So let's go back to calling just a little bit. I kind of struggle. You've probably heard me hem and haw a little bit over this word, this entire uh, podcast, but of what calling looks like. And I think perhaps it's my own story within this. Here's Amy's two cents. Okay. So my own personal calling, Amy, right here is number one, to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, strength. That's my number one calling aim. Man, that's got to be the first thing. My second one is I'm married. So my second calling is to my husband. What all the things that the Lord has ordained that to be, to be a helper for him, that is a calling for me. My third thing is my kiddos. I want to be serving my kids. I want to be teaching my kids, raising them in the admonition of the Lord. That is definitely number three in my calling. And then number four is going to be the stuff that I do. Whatever I do, whatever it is that the Lord asked me to do on a Wednesday morning when I wake up, that thing, that's going to be part of the order, I suppose, in which I would put calling. And so I guess the reason I, I make that distinction is because I think everybody could kind of outline what that looks like for them. Some people think that calling has to be something that you're somebody who's called towards ministry. And so that's why I understand that, you know, for me, that has overlapped a little bit. But it also kind of makes me chuckle a little bit because for those of you who don't know my story about how I came into women's ministry, to me, it's it's kind of hilarious. So I have been at our church for over 20 years, and but for the first 18, 
18 or so years, I think, I worked in the wedding ministry, and which that even was a little bit funny because I've always been an introvert and I'm not somebody that really likes to be out front. And I totally remember for the first probably seven years of doing that job because I directed everybody's wedding rehearsals and all that kind of stuff. I pretty much wanted to throw up after, you know, just to get on stage in front of like 25 people. It was terrifying. I did not like it. I got used to it, of course. And yeah, it's all good. And obviously I did it for a really long time. We built up a, you know, a wedding team and and all of that kind of stuff. And then after I'd been doing that for 18 years, loved wedding ministry, loved serving in that capacity. It was kind of this great, I'd figured out this niche of being able to do this thing, but then still kind of be behind the scenes and then only, you know, do this part on the stage and then be done. You know, it was really comfortable, guys, really, really, really comfortable, really. And I was a little bit slow to let go. I think the Lord was asking me to probably let go of it. Mm a year, 18 months, even before I actually did. There's just this stirring in my heart of that the Lord had something else he wanted me to do. And I had no idea what it was. And I just continued to pray about it. I remember going to our pastor and saying, you know what, I don't really know what this is about, but I really feel like I'm supposed to be done with doing wedding ministry right now. And and so I did. They were really supportive of that. And it was weird because it was the first time in 18 years I had not, you know, worked in some kind of event coordination and that kind of stuff. And then the Lord took me through a couple years, I just sat in his word so much. And I would just read full books of the Bible in a day because I just wanted to. And I had, and again, I've always loved God's word. I feel like being an athe, that's sort of how I feel. If there was ever a Bible degree to be had for me, it probably took place right inside those doors. I've learned so much chapter by chapter, verse by verse, book by book for the last 20 plus years. But that's what I did for a couple of years, went through some really difficult stuff personally with because my dad had passed away. And again, that was just a thing that the Lord was working on me. So fast forward then to, I don't know, a couple of years after that, and I get a call from somebody that was on staff that was asking if I would meet with Pastor Brett about possibly looking at women's ministry. And gals, I have to tell you, I just about laughed when I first heard it. I thought, you got to be kidding. I mean, I, he knows me. He can't possibly think that this would be something that I would be good at. No, I mean, no, 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 this would not. This is not a good idea. I struggled with women's events in general, partially because I am kind of an introvert. I'm saying kind of, I'm a total introvert. And I it just like large groups of women were kind of terrifying to me. But it was interesting, my response. And my husband knew something was up because I didn't just flat out right out of the gate go, no way. But instead, I said, I will pray about that. And I honestly, even that right there was a miracle that I said that. But I did. (laughs) I wanted to really pray about this. And immediately, the Lord started working in my heart. Now, he did not work in my heart right away that, oh, yes, you should definitely do this. Or here's exactly how you should do this. Nope. No, 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 no. That was much more of a progressive work that he continued to do. But... When I think about this idea of calling, gals, it is not like I was 12 years old and I went, man, someday I really want to, you know, just really be leading women in the word. I want to be doing these things. I mean, I wish you knew how funny that seems to me because it's the furthest thing from what I thought that the Lord would ever use me to do. My biggest confidence in the job that I feel the Lord has called me to do now, and again, this is the number four on the calling piece for me, this is the stuff I do, is that God chooses the weak and the foolish. And please don't hear that as some kind of weird false humility thing, because again, I told you, 
I really didn't even like being in front of people. Nope. I didn't really like women's groups. Like this was all crazy stuff to me and not something that I felt like I was a strong leader in or anything like that. I don't see myself as like some amazing off the charts communicator. I don't like there's so many things if I were to look at the job description that I technically have that I have to go, ooh, yep, nope, mm-mm, gonna have to work on that and that and that. But here's the thing that the Lord has done in this as he has just continued to lead is he allows me to see that it's in these things that I just don't feel like I'm nailing that he comes in and fills in all the gaps. One of the sweet blessings that the Lord has done through all of this and through, I think, giving me in this case, a calling towards ministry in this capacity is just changing my heart and my joy towards women's ministry, towards the things that women are going through, specifically like really challenging women to be teaching the the younger and being really in their own Bibles and knowing their Bibles, like elevating our, our biblical literacy to really understand who the God of the Bible is and understanding repentance and his redemption. And there are so many things that I want women to be really invested in. And I know that you guys can hear that because I, I just that makes me so excited. But that is just something that the Lord has a change in my own heart that he did. And so it's often funny to me when I do hear of gals that are like, oh, I've just always thought that I would do this. And maybe it is something where it feels like something that would be a more noticed field. Like we always hear the term influencer now. I don't really know what that is. And I, it's a terrifying term or writing a book or starting a blog or starting a podcast or, you know, teaching or whatever the things that they feel like they want to do. I would never tell you that. No, no, no. If, if I can't speak for where you're at, I would just tell you to lay that before the Lord and go, Lord, is this really what you are calling me to do? Or is it something that I just feel competent in doing? In my situation, I sort of feel like a lack of competence. And perhaps that is what gives me more confidence, I suppose, in the calling. I don't know if that makes sense to anybody but my own little mind. But I hope we kind of take that little piece of calling and, and maybe maybe deconstruct it just a little bit to take apart the pieces and go, okay, Lord, what if this is something that is something that I just want to do? Maybe it's just a searching thing that I'm doing. Like I feel like I don't have purpose in what I'm doing right now. But get to the root of those things and, and being really honest with the Lord on where he wants you to be. The things that the Lord calls us to do specifically, and this goes for everyone who no matter who you are, is to love the Lord and to love his people. Right. Those are the two things. So many scriptures are about this. He talks about that those are the greatest of his commandments. Some of my favorites about his the things that he does command us to do. First John 5, 3, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. What are his commandments? That's the summary right there. Loving God and loving others. Those are the commandments that he gives us. John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Boy, that's such a big one. We go, man, how do we show that we love God? I think sometimes we wish it wasn't just this simple because really how we show love to God is by keeping his commandments. John 14, 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Keep my word. What word? Well, that's God's word. And it's 
all of God's word, even First Timothy 2 that I read to you that women are not to teach men or First Timothy that an elder is to be the husband of one wife. That would mean that elder is supposed to be a guy, you know, all of those things. That means that if we love the Lord, we're going to keep his word. We're not going to go through his word and parse some things out and go, oh, OK, I don't really love that scripture. I don't really love this. I love this one over here. So I'm, I'm going to be all about, you know, be kind one to another. We want to do that. Oh, but this thing on being submissive to my husband, uh, that one doesn't feel as good. Nope, that is not what this is. If anyone loves me, John 14, 23, he will keep my word. What else in the word that we're supposed to do? It's filled with it, guys. One of the things I, I do when I'm doing Bible study is I color code all of my different things are highlighted in a particular color. So if it is a passage about grace, then I have it in green. If it is a passage about the sovereignty or the word of God, it is in purple. If it is an instruction to us, it's in pink. And so I can go through scripture as I've studied and look at all these pink ones and go, oh, these are commands to you, Amy. Amy, these are things you're supposed to be doing. So I was able to flip through scripture and there's just so many. Romans 12, 10, show honor to one another. That's something we're told to do. Be kind one to another. I said that one a minute ago. First Corinthians 13, all the things that love is. Love is patient. Love is kind. Go through that laundry list of all that love is. Yeah, those are things that we are all called to do. But also within his word that we're told to obey is not just what to do and not to do, because there is some not to do's in there, right? There's a lot of those. Don't envy a lot of strong words about sexual immorality, idolatry, long list. But it's not just the do's and the don'ts. Also part of God's word is believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That's in Acts 16.31. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. His word contains his gospel. It contains the answer for us on every single question on what we need. What are the things we're good at? What are the things that we're called to do? It contains everything that we need to know. So our number one calling is, I think, to run this race, loving God and obeying his word. And if we're doing those things and obeying his word is going to include how we treat other people, how we order our families, how we conduct ourselves, how we abstain from things that are sinful and harmful and things that the creator, the designer of us knew would be harmful to us. And so he tells us to stay away from those. That's going to be our number one calling. So practically, how do we look at this? Because this is why I wanted to kind of strip all of that down is because I think calling is bigger in some ways and also more daily, probably in a far less glamorous way. Revelation 4.11 says we are created for him. And we've mentioned this lots of times, but that is really what we're here for, guys. We're here to bring glory to the Lord. And what should that look like? Pick one of those passages I read about obeying God's word, being in his word, being not parsing through and figuring out like, oh, I'll take the scripture and not this one. But it's those little tiny decisions on the daily that is what is honoring and glorifying to the Lord. And while yes, those things could be, we could be called to glorify God in really big ways. But I think he's also just as pleased with our daily obedience to serve him, 
doing dishes, running errands, helping your kids with math or reading. That one took us a long time in our house. Helping your husband with a task that maybe you really don't want to do. Keeping a budget, you know? You're like, Amy, how does keep a budget do that? Well, in our house, that's honoring to my husband and the work that he does if I do that. So that's a way that I can be a help. That's the way that I can glorify God in how I serve him. So many daily things. So I don't know if if it's just me <laughs> that this kind of strikes a weird note with sometimes. I think there's so many inspirational mugs and pillows that, you know, whether it's the ones that say girl boss or, you know, I don't even know. I'm, I can't think of them all right now, but you guys know they are out there. Pinterest, women's empowerment, and you're going to see all of these things about how amazing you are and all the giant things that you're called to do. And I think I'm not going to say that every single one of those things are bad, but I think that our calling can be something that is so much bigger and deeper and more meaningful and in complete service to the Lord than just something that we think we do that might get notoriety here on earth. But I don't know, at the end of the day, that's just what's here on earth. I feel like so many times we all need a just a splash of water of how quick and how fleeting this life is. I mean, it's just a blip on the radar. And the things that we do now, it's just a tiny speck when it comes to eternity. I don't want that to depress you because I actually think that that is an amazing thing for two reasons. One, because it gives us an eternal picture of where we're headed. And I love that. But also that the quickness of it, the fleeting of it, it makes me think of, man, I want to serve the Lord. I want to be in his word. I want to be obedient. I want to serve his people as much as I possibly can now because I don't have long. This is it, you know, and I just want to do as much as the Lord asks me to do right now. But don't get impatient with that, too. I think sometimes I remember when I had like toddlers and my daily digest considered of reading Dr. Seuss books to think that I saw it on Mulberry Street. For real, I think I read it 500 times. And little kid songs. And I remember actually getting to a point, Chris would come home from work and we would try to have like one of those adult conversations. And my brain would actually almost like freeze. Like I, I couldn't remember words that were past one syllable, it felt like. And there were moments in those little kid years <laughs> with my kids of going, man, am I ever going to be able to like talk in words that require vocabulary? And I, it felt like that was going to be so far away. Well, that so far away went by in a second. And the thing is, is I'm so, so thankful for the things that the Lord ordained in those days for me to do for the teaching moments with my kids, for the all the cleaning, the diapers, the, all the things that were required to do sometimes in those real details that feels like, oh, but shouldn't I be doing bigger things or doing what? No, 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 no. Be patient in the things that the Lord has asked you to do right now. And you have no idea what the future could be on what he may call you to, but it's just those small things of obedience, of just obeying the Lord, that is our calling, just, just to be obedient. I want to finish off. I went longer than I planned on today, but I want to finish off by reading 
the doxology in Jude. I'm a giant doxology fan, and this one is definitely my favorite. But it's at the very end of Jude, only one chapter. So Jude, verse 24, says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forevermore. That is such a beautiful summation, I think, of what we should hope for our calling to look like, where we are resting in that knowledge of the presence of his glory with joy, having choosing joy in the situation that we're in to the only God, our Savior. I've read this on a different podcast as well on um, just recognizing and, and calling out who God is, that he is our God, he is our Savior, and it's to him be glory and majesty, dominion and authority. That's what we want to be submitted to. That's where we want to find our calling, our competency, our daily decisions and all the things in between. Thank you for tuning in to The Devoted Podcast. We are a ministry of AV Creek Christian Fellowship in West Lynn, Oregon. For more resources, or if you need prayer or encouragement, send us an email at devotedpodcast at avcreek.com.